It's fairly plain to see that with improved technology and medicine, that many people are simply living longer now. This in turn creates a need for long-term care with a cost-effective way to pay for it. And it's often not just for yourself. At the same time, a 70-year-old today could very well have 95-year-old parents still alive needing that assistance. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on Management Decisions. I'm your host, Tim Muma. As our years wind down, there's a great challenge to ensure affordable long-term care for us and for our loved ones. Mark Stratus, Senior Financial Planner with Zarka Financial, joins LJN Radio to help in that regard as we discuss the various aspects of long-term care policies. Thanks for coming on the show, Mark. Oh, pleasure to be here as always. We're talking about long-term care policies, LTC, for those who know the short acronym there. I guess the best place to start really would be, for those who are unsure, what exactly does a long-term care policy entail, and is that something that a lot of people should be considering? Two good questions with two totally different responses. Perfect. <laughs> and, and, and they're coming from my perspective and my, my experience after 37 years in this business. The, the issue of long-term care has, has been topical for quite some time. It just reflects the de- demographics of our country. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm firmly ensconced in the baby boomer generation, and there's roughly, last statistic I saw starting July 1st of this year, there'll be on an average 10,000 of us turning 70 and a half every day going forward for the next 18 years. Wow. So there's a lot of us. Yeah. And, and long-term care... It becomes an issue because it's, we're, going to, we're going to face it one of two ways, either directly ourselves or a parent. Hmm. I have a mother in an assisted living facility right now, so I have first-hand experience of what all that entails. But it leads to a, a totally different question when you ask, should everybody have it? The answer is if you end up in an assisted living facility, sure, you should have it. Mm-hmm. But does everybody end up there? And the, the answer is no. And for years, we used the acronym of LTC slash NH, nursing home. Okay. And it's important to differentiate between the two because nursing home is skilled assisted living where some, somebody has to be there and, and provide you a lot more help. Where assisted living means that you still have some level of independence, but you may not be able to do everything. Right. But you may have an assisted living policy in place and be in assisted living, but the policy may still not pay benefits. Hmm. Because insurance policies, you have one on your house, you have one on your car, you have a life insurance policy, you may have who knows how many types of policies. You may have a dental insurance policy, and there's limitations and thresholds you must cross for them to be effective. And with assisted living, the definitions of something called activities of daily living, and for a traditional law, assisted living or long-term care policy to kick in and to have benefits being paid, then the insured individual must fail at least two of the activities of daily living or have a diagnosed cognitive impairment. And the activities of daily living, just to remind everybody, is something quite simply, it's eating, toileting, transferring, which means getting up off the couch and going somewhere else. Mm Um, continence, bathing, dressing. Okay. So if, if two of those activities are impaired or for which you need assistance, then you would be eligible for the benefits from the long-term care policy. 
But it, it, it's, there's two questions I like to ask people that, with whom I'm working. And, and one is, you may never need care, but if you did, how will that affect your family? Sure. And secondly, and if you did need care, how will you pay for it? Those are great questions, and that's, I think, part of the great thing of having you guys here is you can give us some of those details. Uh, for example, those categories of activities of daily living, just the idea of eligibility for some of these policies and whatnot, I think that's a big thing. Uh, but you were going to continue with something? I, I was, and then I forgot what it was because <laughs> I started to answer another question in my mind before you finished. The thing with long-term care policies, and, and, and it's what I try to make patently clear to anybody who's either A, has one, or is seriously considering buying one, mm-hmm. is to understand the limitations therein. There's always a medical underwriting. Right. It's, it's an insurance company. So even if you have the money to pay for the premium, you may not have the health to be underwritten. Hmm. And people get to age 65, and like myself, and go, oh, I've got Medicare now. Right. But <laughs> Medicare has limitations on what it pays for, and my mother is on Medicare. My mother has long-term care policy. My mother still is receiving no benefits. Really? And the reason for that is she's 89. She can dress herself. She feeds herself. She goes to the bathroom. She takes a bath. She does all that stuff. The difficulty she has is and one of the reasons she's in assisted living, she's got double macro degeneration. So mm. she's legally blind. Right. It's amazing what she can see for somebody who's been diagnosed as legally blind. <laughs> but in any event, you know, there it is. She's getting no help other than we have her in a place with my dad having died. My brother and I can't take care of her and give her 24-hour observation so somebody can keep an eye on her all the time. Mm-hmm. And she's she's in a group of people that are her peers, and it's working well, and she enjoys the fact that she's there and appreciates the fact that she's there. But an insurance policy would be paying for nothing. So it still is coming out of family pocketbooks to take care of those things. I think that's an important point that you bring up there. For one, since you're personally involved, aside from having the financial understanding of everything, uh, being personally involved, as you said, it's not always you yourself. It might be family members that this Mm -hmm. is impacting. Uh, So I think that is why it's a very important conversation. You brought up the mention of, you know, assisted living. How about things like home care? Uh, You touched on nursing home a little bit, uh, retirement community. I mean, there are a lot of terms that I guess I'm curious how does that change the dynamic? How does it change coverage? Uh, what about some of the, I don't want to call them loopholes, but where do you find that these little things might change them? The type of policies people can purchase today include coverage for home health care. Okay. So if someone is has to come give help at home, and it's because two of the activities of daily living may not be met. Mm-hmm. So you need you need somebody to help at home. Now, that could mean a family member, okay, which is usually the first line of defense. And, you know, historically, if there's a daughter in the family and she happens to be one of the older children or happens to be the one closest to the parents geographically, it seems that the, the daughters get more than half the responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother was clever enough to relocate to Florida, <laughs> so... <clears throat> I have the responsibilities, plus I'm the oldest, so it, it goes there. Sure. But family tem- typically tends to be the fallback. Sure. In the event family cannot help, then you look to some sort of 
um, professional assistance, somebody to come in. It may not necessarily be a, a medically trained professional. It might be a home health care aide that has some training but is not medically trained. Hmm. But if it's any kind of, depending on the insurance company, depending on the policy, the definitions in there, which will explain what qualifies, and if they qualify, then the insurance company will, in fact, pay. Okay. So it's it's there. If it's a retirement community, by my definition, that's independent living. Sure. So independent living means just that, independent. You, you, you're probably still cooking a couple meals to yourself. You're still driving your car. You're still doing things. Okay. As, as a couple. Um, and then a nursing home is generally going to be something which is a skilled assisted facility. And in those cases, there probably would be a benefit being paid by the long-term care policy subject to the limitations of their, the older policies that were written years ago have, in most cases, a total dollar limit of exposure for the insurance company. It could be 250000 it mm-hmm. could be whatever. Some paid extra money on the premium to have lifetime benefits. Okay. In, in today's environment, what I try to get people to look at doing is maybe look at using idle assets. And Tim, by that I mean money that's not being used to produce income right now, money that's just sitting there that you were thinking about just letting it go to the grandchildren or something, and taking existing dollars, reposition those dollars into a long-term care policy okay. where you retain control. You buy it. You own it. You retain control. If you never use it, then the money, all the money and whatever interest it's earned, then goes to the family at the time of your death, Hmm. and usually in the form of a tax-free death benefit via life insurance. Or it's accumulated money and you say, you know what, I'm not going to use this. I want to buy that new boat. (laughs) You you cash it in, you buy the little boat so you can do what you want to do. The key to it is... You, as the buyer of the policy, never lose control. Okay. The tra- the traditional first series, first generation of these was like a monthly or annual premium, and if you never had to use the policy, what happened to all those premium dollars? Hmm. No recovery. Right. So I I try to encourage people to stay away from that approach today, just for the sake of maintaining control, because it's your money. Right. So there's it's always a way to make sure somebody has control of the money that's you. And you alluded to this a little bit. Uh, where does life insurance come into play? Uh, I had a note s- stating that life insurance used to be one-dimensional. Now it can be multi-dimensional. There's conversation of converting old life insurance plans. Uh, is there a simple way to describe how those can be a benefit to you or for anyone who's looking at that? But yes, but it's always a little bit more involved in in the real situation. But of course, conceptually, you've you you've, you're of the age where you you bought your first life insurance policy when you were 20 years old or right out of college, and you've been paying on it all these years. You're now 60 years old, and there's this money sitting in there. And what do you want to do with it? Well, you you look to that and go, well, can I take the cash value in that policy, the pure economic value of the policy? And can I convert that to a long-term care benefit, Okay. if applicable? There are insurance policies being sold today that have riders on them that say that this, the, the death benefit can be advanced to pay for long-term care 
benefits under certain conditions. The comment that you might have overheard, I'm, I'm sure something I said at some point in time, is that it's so important to look at what you have today and see if it still applies for the reason you bought it originally, or are you in a position to change it to reflect current needs versus the ones that may no longer be applicable. Mm-hmm. You go through a period of time when you're younger, you buy the life insurance for the replacement of income to make sure that the family is not hit with the double whammy of the loss of your life and then your income earning capability. Then you get to the point and go, well, can I use the life insurance to pass on money or to do charitable giving that I couldn't do before I didn't have the cash flow? Or should I use the life insurance to take care of living benefits prior to the need for a death benefit? Mm -hmm. And the insurance companies have responded over the years to make those options available. Underwriting is still a feature, Tim. No matter what you think you want to do, you still will be looking to an insurance underwriter to take a look at your current health and the likelihood of your health being good for a specified period of time, depending on the insurance company's underwriting standards, or the the economics of, of doing it to see whether or not it's worth their risk to take you on. Sure. So insurance companies typically have a pretty good understanding of what the odds are. Of course, yeah, and that's that makes sense, and it's a fair thing to let people know um, just as far as what they're getting into, and, and that, again, is part of the reason we love having you guys on here because you have a good understanding and you're able to break it down. As you said, it's always going to depend. There's going to be uh, you know nuances here or there, but I think this helps give a general idea. With that in mind, if you were speaking to a group of people or anyone who comes into you and, and discuss this kind of thing, how would you point out the pros and cons to the current types of uh, long-term care policies that are out there? You, again, you mentioned a little bit how it was when they first were conceptualized. Uh, what do you see as the main pros and cons now? If I'm doing that kind of a compare and contrast um, conversation, I, I, I go back to something I said a few minutes ago in the early part of our conversation, control. Okay. Who controls the assets? Do you maintain control of your premium dollars. 40 years ago or more when the the whole idea of long-term care and nursing home insurance was created, nobody knew what the actuarial events were going to be. So nobody could really, they really weren't priced well. And that's why some of the originating companies are no longer in business doing that. People are living longer, all those kinds of things. So Mm -hmm. what, what somebody needs to do is go, look, if you want to consider doing it, you have to understand without question, you still have to be underwritten with a, physically. You have to have a health underwriting. That that doesn't change. Even if you use something as a single premium deferred annuity, where traditionally, now this is my sense of humor getting in the way here, the only underwriting is did the check clear. <laughs> but because the rules changed with regard to distributions from annuities after the 2006 um Pension Protection Act was passed, kicking into effect in 2010, with annuities, single premium annuities issued after 2010, they have a provision that says distributions from those, and most single premium annuities were done to protect principal and to earn interest on what you pay, no current income taxes. You're deferring it. Mm-hmm. Standard law says once you start taking money out of those contracts for whatever reason, they're taxable. Okay. The interest comes out first, pay tax on it, and go forward. But if you uh, purchase a properly qualified annuity, means it meets the standards for the 2010 Act and thereafter, 
and the money is used to pay for long-term care and nursing home expenses, it comes out income tax-free. Hmm. So that that's a big difference than paying taxes on, on things. So there's a timing of things. So that's a very nice feature to have. If you have an old life insurance policy, which is accumulated cash value, and you over the years you put in $20,000 of premium, and now there's $30,000 of cash value in there, and you decide you're going to take money out, you can never pay tax again on your premium on life insurance, much like you can't pay taxes again on the premium on your annuity, which is purchased with after-tax dollars. Okay. But maybe in the life insurance, you borrow against it, which becomes an income tax-free transaction, to pay expenses. But if you use a life, a, a currently a newly issued life insurance policy, which is considered a combination policy where it has provisions specifically related to being able to pay for long-term care or assisted living needs if necessary, mm-hmm. then there is built in some favorable tax treatment there as well. Okay. So they're just there's a whole host of things. The insurance industry, like any other industry you and I are aware of, changes and has to in order to attract and retain business. Right. So as the tax laws have changed, as the needs of the buying public have changed, the insurance companies have adapted and made it possible. So with, if if over the next 18 years, 10,000 baby boomers a day are turning age 70 and a half, which means they have to deal with taking money out of their IRAs then they're also at the risk of being the ones that are at the forefront of being in assisted living or a nursing home. But at the same time, a 70-year-old today could very well have 95-year-old parents still alive. That's a good point. Needing that assistance. Right. I mean, every now and then, you uh, you know, an obituary appears. You know, so-and-so has passed away at the age of 99, and survivors include enlist children, and just start doing the arithmetic. Right. Most of those children are baby boomer age. Crazy. So you know now we now I have people my age that are not only grandparents, some of them become great grandparents already. Sure. So there there's just the, the generational stretch has happened, and it's caused people to have to re reevaluate and decide really what they want to do. And as they talk, as conversations turn toward long-term care, assisted living type of issues, it's important to identify: Do you have the assets already in place to protect against that, or do you have to try to create those assets? If you have them in place, it's a matter of what I call repositioning. If you don't have them, then you have to figure out in your cash flow how you can support it. And those really become the two options. Right. Or well, there's a third option. Family, and because when you get when you get down to it, there's only three ways that you can pay for um, long-term care assisted living. You either self-fund it, you have insurance, or you're going to use benefits from um, Medicare or Medicaid. And Medicaid opens up a whole nother conversation you and I <laughs> could have because those rules are very specific and people continually try to reposition themselves to qualify for Medicaid, forgetting that the purpose of Medicaid is to take care of indigent people, not people that have a lot of money retitled or resheltered. Right. So there's a lot 
to look into, isn't there? Yeah, for sure. And like you said, that would be a, an entire uh, greater conversation. Now, unfortunately, we're out of time even for this one. But as usual, you know, you, you put in so much terrific information in a short amount of time. And even if people can't uh, comprehend all of it at once, I think, as we've talked about, giving them the information is such a big part. So we always appreciate you coming on, Mark. Thanks again. My pleasure. That will do it for us on this edition of Management Decisions and our conversation with Mark Stratus, Senior Financial Planner for Zarka Financial. If you have any feedback on this or any of our shows, send us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also reach me on Twitter at Tim underscore Muma, and you can find all of our episodes on iTunes. Just search LJN Radio. Thanks once again for listening. I'm Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.